Hi there, I'm Alan Mann, and this is Stories in Stride, brought to you by American Region Animal Health, the makers of Adequan IM. In this series, we take a glimpse into the remarkable true events of those who have left their mark on our equestrian community. We hear the heartbreaks and triumphs and the untold stories of our equestrian heroes and their amazing animals. The journey starts now. So today our special guest is Carol Rose, a who's who of first for women in the horse industry. She was the first female inducted into the National Cutting Horse Association's Non-Pro Hall of Fame, the first female member of the AQHA Judges Committee, the first women to win an NCHA World Championship, and she's a proud member of the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame, the Texas Cowboy Hall of Fame, the AQHA Hall of Fame, and the NRHA Hall of Fame. While her impact is seen throughout the entire industry, her success as a breeder is perhaps her greatest accomplishment. Carol Rose has changed the lives of thousands of horse owners around the world as the AQHA all-time leading breeder of performance horses. Her mother taught her that there's no such word as can't, and Carol's proven it. Welcome, Carol. Wow, that's, a, that's quite a list. It humbles me greatly. So, Carol, how did your journey begin with horses? We lived in the San Francisco Bay Area near Stanford University. We had 25 acres there. We, we were around horses all the time. There were four girls, and I'm the second from the oldest. And we all rode. I was the most interested, but the other ones rode because it was just expected of us. Grandfather would take us. On Sundays, there was a, uh, in a little bit of the country where we lived, Atherton, California, which is not a, it's a zip code, but it's not a, it's a residential area. There's no stores there. And they had a, a friend of theirs had pony rides. And when I was two or three, we'd go and you could get on these ponies and you could walk on the inside ring. And then when you were a little, when you rode well enough, you could go on the outside ring and you could trot and you could lope or canter, whatever you prefer to call it, run. And so when I was about three, I was allowed to go run. And it was a time in my life. I just, I loved it from the moment I, I think from the moment I knew anything. Wow, that's awesome. And so, you know, early on in your career, in many of the competitions, especially cutting, you were the only woman competing and you were able to still win these competitions. Can you give us a little insight into what that was like? Well, you know, before I started cutting, I rode everything. And um, I rode rain cow horses, I rode raining, I roped, I ran barrels and poles and, you know, just every event they had at the horse show. And I, my mother loved the cutting horses and I loved the cutting horses, but mother loved it more than I did. And she said, when you graduate from high school, I wanna buy you a cutting horse. And I really, really, to be honest, Alan, I really didn't care because I loved everything else I was doing, but it sounded like fun. When I started, they didn't have what they call the non-pro. It was just the open cutting. And there was one other woman that did cut limitedly. She was from California. Her name was Mary Harbinson. And she didn't win a lot, but she was very, very nice. And she had a beautiful horse and beautiful equipment. So I really wasn't the first one. She was cutting before I did, but she didn't cut on the big time like I ended up doing. 
So I started cutting and started showing cutting horses in 1964. Wow, 1964. So what what was it like, uh, you know, working and and really enjoying your life in this male-dominated horse industry? You know, it was uh, it was tough. I always wanted to be treated like a lady. You know, I always wanted the door to open for me and be, people be polite. And I know I was in a male-dominated industry, but I wanted to be treated like a lady. And I think I accomplished that, you know, just by being polite to everybody and keeping my place. But yet, when my name was called, I would go, go in there and just, I had the best teachers in the world. And I would go in there and, and I had good horses and I would just, cut like I was one of them, man or lady, it didn't make any difference. The man would prefer I wasn't there simply because I was a lady. Simply because if I won, they didn't like to be beaten by a lady. <laughs> so what, what advice would you give a, uh, a young woman pursuing a, a, a career today in the equine industry? Well, it's totally different today because there's so many more women in the industry, period. I mean, back when I started, it was me and the rest of the world. It's, it's hard. It's hard work. You have to believe in yourself. You have to learn every day something new. And you, you just never stop learning and you never stop watching or you like a certain type of horse. You pursue that and you don't change in the middle of the stream if you don't have to. You try to pursue the best and no matter what they tell you, you can't do it or you're a woman and you just keep your mouth shut and, and pursue it. But you, got, you have to work twice as hard to get the same results as, as your male counterpart. Right. And, and so uh, as we think about, you know, your love for these amazing animals, um, let's move on to talk a little bit about some of these early horses that you uh, really uh, had some tremendous success with, especially in the breeding shed. So what about a horse like Zanpar Bar? What can you tell us about this amazing animal? In 1976, we had a customer that wanted some mares. I went to California in September to look for some mares for her, for her stallion. And I, I didn't see anything I liked. And as I was leaving, I just, my eyes caught on the most beautiful horse I'd ever seen in my life at that time. And he was a stallion. I was looking at his profile, a side view. And I, I knew the man that was holding him because he used to be my instructor in, when I went to college at Cal Poly. His name was Bill Gibford. So I had read in the magazines, I knew what horse he was holding. And after he showed him and he was grand champion stallion and he had terrible manners in the show ring. And once he stood still and I hollered, whoa, from the sidelines because that just was in me. To, I wanted him to stand still. Anyway, he was grand champion and he took him back and I followed him back to his stall and I asked him if he would sell him. And he said, oh no. He said, my wife and I plan to make a living with this horse. So we talked for a while and I said, so if, if you did sell him, what would you ask for him? And he wouldn't give me a price. So finally I said, well, Bill, would you please give me first refusal if you decide to sell him? He said he would, and we shook hands on that, and I left and flew back to Texas, and I couldn't stop thinking about this horse. Bill Gibford called Sunday night about 9 o'clock Texas time and said, told me since I'd been looking at that horse, he, everybody knew it, 
and now everybody wanted to buy him, so he decided to sell him. And he told me so somebody was coming to look at him the next day. And I said, well, Bill, you gave me first refusal. Well, Matlock decided I should leave right then. I called and I got a midnight flight. I got to Dallas-Fort Worth and I flew to California and got there at six in the morning, rented a car and drove to San Luis Obispo. And when Bill came out of his house, I was standing there by his barn. <laughs> and I, he said, what are you doing here? I said, I've come to buy your horses. I just talked to you eight hours ago. And I said, yes, sir. You told me somebody was coming to look, so I wanted to get here first. And I looked at him and he wrote him for me and I bought him. But it, it was just, it was meant to be because somebody else would have bought him that day before I would have ever gotten there. Wow. Wow, that's that's tremendous. Two years so, old. Have made the effort. That you have to. You know, that's just goes through life. If you want something badly enough, and if you think it's real, you have to make the effort. So, in your entire career, has there been a special horse that really has uh, stood out above the rest? Yes, you know, I've had, I've had very special horses, but. The one that stands out about among them all is a 31-year-old stallion now named Shining Spark. Shining Spark is, is the max. He's the, he's the one. You know, I can remember um, uh, visiting your ranch back in the early 2000s and walking out into one of the pastures with Lyle Lovett. And we were looking at some of the shining spark babies and i'll never forget i remember having this conversation with you and and i said carol out of all the attributes of a of a champion what is the most important for, for me for me there's three things that are most important number one is how the confirmation or how he's made number two is his his disposition or in his mind that's so important and number three is athletic ability you telling me that shining spark had all those in spades he has them all in 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 the highest suit you could have them in i mean he we raised him and did you know early on that you had something special i knew when he was just a few days old that he was very special, but of course you don't know how special. And he was Palomino, and other than Roy Rogers and Trigger, Palomino wasn't really a popular color in the performance horse industry. But Chinese Spark was Palomino, and he, he, he made the Palomino horse very, very popular, the color. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful animal. Beautiful animal, especially in the show pen. So let's, let's switch gears here. Um, so in 2018, you were honored by the AQHA as the 50-year legacy breeder. And uh, you had commented that uh, you credited much of your success to your mother. Can you give us a little insight into how she shaped your, your journey in this horse world? Alan, she, she loved horses. She rode hunter ponies as a, as a young girl. And then she was stricken with polio when she was uh, young in college and she couldn't 
ride anymore. And so that was a dream for her, for her children. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. But as I said earlier, we all four rode horses. And I used to start, started showing when I was five. But I didn't get serious about it until I was eight. And mother, our father had four girls in five years. And he didn't have time to do all these things with us. So mother did with all of us. And we all did something different. One of them I skated. One of them played tennis. One of them I skated and played tennis. And then I rode. So it pulled mother lots of different directions. But she just insisted that I do this. And when I, and I just had a, just a horse, just a horse they bought somewhere. My first one named Blackie. And in June of 1949, I won my first trophy at a big horse show in uh, California. And that day was the first day of the rest of my life. Wow. Was it just the luck of the draw that you ended up getting the horse versus tennis or skating? We all played a little tennis, but I loved the horses. And, and the other girls, I think they would have stuck with it more, but I was kind of a bushy child and, and kind of got, you know, when I, when I did something, I did it all the way. And then we had rules and we had to feed and take care of our horses before we went to school. And that meant cleaning the stables and, you know, take care of the horses. Well, the other girls, I would do that, but they didn't want to go to school smelling like a quote horse unquote. And so they didn't want to take care of their horses in the mornings. And I didn't care. I wanted to ride my horse to school if I could. And so I just stayed with the horses because I loved them. It was, they were my life. That's tremendous. So you say that uh, kids are the future of the horse industry. Uh, what advice would you give parents of these young horse enthusiasts today? Well, it, Ellen, again, it's so different than when I grew up. But if the kids love horses, and the parents can somehow afford to do it, I would never not try to make it possible. There's nothing cuter than a horse and a child. If they seem like the child relates to a horse almost better than he does a dog. And I'm, I'm, I'm helping coach a seven-year-old right now, and he is amazing and it's so much fun to think back. But he's so smart, and the horses are better. The saddles are better. Everything's so much better than it was. It's so much easier to teach somebody just because it's of the assets they have to work with. But, but there's nothing cuter than a horse and a child. You know, you have been such an advocate for the youth, and it, I'm sure there's, a, there's so many people out there that have been impacted because of you and all that you have done. I, I kind of got a kick out of one of your sayings, which you commented that age is a number and mine is unlisted. <laughs> yes, I say that all the time. <laughs> so what is next on your to-do list? What are, you, what are you planning? What's going on now with the horse world? I still have uh, Shiny Sparks 31 years old and we're still breeding him. And so that's exciting to try to get babies by Shiny Spark. I'm still very interested in helping kids, you know, talking to kids and trying, if I need to, to give them lessons. I still like to talk to people about the breeding industry, but there, there not been very many interested in talking to me about it simply because I'm a woman. I mean, it's just a different thing and, but uh, everybody has their own thing and there's a lot of armchair experts out there. Well, you have so much 
knowledge and your your legacy as a breeder is second to none and you think about it where you started and where it is today who else is like you i don't think there's a, another carol rose in the entire horse industry well carol i i i just feel so fortunate to um to have known you and and i'll never forget that day you put me on a uh uh, reined cow horse at your ranch. That was one of the most exciting times uh, I've ever had on a horse. And just thank you for, for everything you have done and continue to do. And I just wish you all the best on this most amazing journey. Thank you, Alan. And I've just, I've really enjoyed knowing you also. And I've learned, I learned so much about product you were representing. And I, I can't, you don't know have any idea how much you taught me and how it's so important you know these these horses we we, we expect a lot out of our horses physically and some horses are just made a little stronger than others but the ones that are less strong we still they still have to perform the same way and with the help of Adequan, we certainly can't we came a long ways in the industry and thank you for bringing it to us and teaching us its wonderful uses well, that's very kind of you, Carol. As always, thanks for listening. Before you go, please take a minute to subscribe to this podcast. We want you to be the first to know of the incredible stories we have lined up in the coming episodes. Till then, happy riding.